Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Fiona Bennett. And I'm Michael Schaefer. Lovely to be with you, Fee. We're, we're still basking in, in the afterglow, aren't we, of the, uh, of the success of the, of the special event, an evening in the company of poems that we had three nights ago now. What a night it was. It was incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. And not least for the feeling of that we were in this sort of virtual room and yet it sort of felt like, we, yeah, it felt as close as I felt, I think, actually, Michael, to um, being in, a, in an event that was happening in a space with people. It was really wonderful. Yeah, it was. If you were there... Thank you so much for coming and for your support. We really hope you enjoyed it. We've been getting some fantastic uh, messages, some really encouraging messages and some great feedback from people. So um, if you did miss it, uh, I think we will be doing more. Uh, I think that's fair to say, Fee. Uh, it did go well. People did seem to really love it. So, yeah, if there's an appetite for it, then we will absolutely be doing more. If you if you missed it and you, you would like to come to the next one, make sure you sign up to the newsletter. We don't bombard you with stuff. What is it, Fee? Once every three months or something we send out a newsletter? Something like that, exactly, like yeah. That. So, um, yeah, sign up for that. You can do that at our website, thepoetryexchange.co.uk, and you will make sure not to miss out on the next one. Yeah, but we will be doing more, Fee. I think so. I think so. So, Michael, um, it's great that we can bring this conversation out as an episode. I, I feel it's almost an annual kind of anniversary of when we actually had the conversation, in fact. Yeah. It is about a year ago because this was part of a number of conversations that we had hosted with Manchester Central Library and Manchester Poetry Library as a sort of collaborative part of International Mother Languages Day, which I know has just happened again with an even more amazing augmented programme. Manchester folk, check that out. And we were there and this conversation happened within those two days of, of, of kind of being in residence there. Is this the last lot of conversations that we were able to have face-to-face in the same room? I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was, Michael, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The reason that, it, uh, that we haven't put it out sooner than this uh, is just because we felt that we ought to space out the Larkins. And at, and at one point, our guest refers to Larkin as the people's poet. And in fact, Larkin, I think I'm right in saying, is the most frequent poet that we've had suggested to us uh, in this, uh, under this umbrella of poems as friends. And you wouldn't necessarily have anticipated that i guess fee when you first thought of poems as friends um but yeah we've had a lot of larkins so we yeah finally we're getting around to putting this one out yeah i think it's great it's great so you'll be hearing fiona and al talking about obard by philip larkin the poem that's been a friend to tom Have you brought a poem along? Have, mm, you, have you got yeah, three? three copies. Okay, right. brilliant. That's where we need to start. Told. You look at that. <laughs> and you're in a nice black folder as well. That's beautiful. Can you give it a read for us? Yeah, sure. Great. I work all day and get half drunk at night. Waking at four to soundless dark, I stare. In time, the curtain edges will grow light. 
Till then, I see what's really always there. Unresting death, a whole day nearer now, making all thought impossible but how and where and when I shall myself die. Arid interrogation, yet the dread of dying and being dead flashes afresh to hold and horrify. The mind blanks at the glare, not in remorse, the good not done, the love not given, time torn off unused, nor wretchedly because an only life can take so long to climb, clear of its wrong beginnings and may never, but at the total emptiness forever, the sure extinction that we travel to and shall be lost in always, not to be here, not to be anywhere, and soon, nothing more terrible, nothing more true. This is a special way of being afraid. No tricks dispel. Religion used to try that vast moth-eaten musical brocade created to pretend we never die. And specious stuff that says no rational being can fear a thing it will not feel. Not seeing that this is what we fear. No sight, no sound. No touch or taste or smell, nothing to think with, nothing to love or link with, that anaesthetic from which none come round. And so it stays just on the edge of vision, a small unfocused blur, a standing chill that slows each impulse down to indecision. Most things may never happen, this one will. And realisation of it rages out in furnace fear when we are caught without people or drink. Courage is no good, it means not scaring others. Being brave lets no one off the grave. Death is no different winder than we've stood. Slowly, light strengthens and the room takes shape. It stands plain as a wardrobe. What we know, have always known. Know that we can't escape, yet can't accept. One side will have to go. Meanwhile, telephones crouch, getting ready to ring. In locked-up offices, and all the uncaring, intricate, rented world begins to rouse. The sky is white as clay with no sun. Work has to be done. Postmen, like doctors, go from house to house. Incredible. Fantastic. So when did you first meet this poem? Um, it was only a couple of years ago, I think, because I never studied Larkin in school or Hughes, which everyone seems to have done. Ah. Yeah, but no, I, I had a dreadful English teacher, so I came to it quite late. Right. But I really got into Larkin last year. Me and my dad went to Hull. Yeah, we did the Larkin trail a little bit and went to, um, he's got a poem called Thursday night at the Royal Station Hotel. Uh -huh, yeah. And um, so that's joined on to the Paragon Station in Hull. So the Paragon Station is where he, the Wits and Wedding starts and he started writing it. Right. And apparently the hotel burnt down and the only record that they had was the poem, so they rebuilt it from the images in the poem. Oh, God, I didn't yeah. know that. That's incredible. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's important to write these poems. People mm. might need to make buildings out of them. <laughs> yeah. And can you remember when you read this one in particular, what your kind of first response was? The thing that got me is I don't think anyone's really expressed that sentiment as well before, mm. apart from maybe Hamlet, but <laughs> that's a different kettle of fish. But yeah, I don't think um, a poem this, this short as well, really, to express something so 
vast, mm. endless. Yeah, I don't think I've ever I've read I had read anything that really summarised it as well. Yeah. Mm. And so honestly. Yeah, honestly, definitely. That's a great um, reference point, the Hamlet, actually, because mm. I think that's I think you're absolutely bang on. What I like about this poem as well is that it's really set in the real world with all the references to work and the telephones crouching <laughs> and it isn't just this um, poetic spiel that acts like it exists just in the realm of poetry like it is set in the real world where people die and people have to go to work and I, it's really honest in that respect as well you know this the first line, I walk all day and get half drunk at night. I mean, that sounds like Spring, Springsteen or blues yeah. or, you know, it's, and I think Larkin does that. He's got that sort of ability to slip in quite deceptively accessible lines. They're almost like crowd pleasers. Mm. Um, and then suddenly you think, oh no, we're in, he, he's using that ease with language to tackle huge yeah and address huge issues definitely that's what i really like about larkin as well because the the poems are easy to get into and once you're in there then it's a whole different thing but i think i hate the phrase people's poet but i think in a way in a way he is a little bit his word choice is so canny isn't it um just dropping a word like extinction into a line or you know, that he can both make a kind of dark, witty joke of the anaesthetic from which no one comes round. Mm. And then he'll kind of do something physical and imagistic, like realisation of it rages out in furnace fear. I mean, that's pretty poetry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's both that kind of everyday world stuff and there's also this real relish of the of the chosen word Mm. and sound yeah sound definitely it seems in a way as well that he's kind of making it so um not really musical but um good to read like um in in a way it's really sensory Mm. because that's the thing that he's trying to combat the like in a the third stanza no sight or sound no touch or taste or smell that's everything that you miss so he's trying to fill that Mm. fill the gaps with the poem if that makes any sense yeah yeah i hadn't i hadn't appreciated that until you said that yeah there's a kind of a relish of Mm. of the physical experience of the everyday of life and all that sensoriness is kind of he's kind of packing it into the poem Waking up at four as well, it's such a liminal time, isn't it? It's, it's a strange time mm. where the world hasn't quite come to life yet. Yeah, and I think things can always look worse <laughs> in the middle of the night, you yeah. know. It just allows your imagination to roam in a way it can't when you're drinking coffee and at breakfast. Mm. And there's no distraction of what needs to be done. There's no oh. house to house to go to with your work. Oh. You're just mm. in that. And then the postman comes and mm. you forget all about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's really solidified just a brief moment in time, mm. and a brief 
thought that it's just wiped away by the morning. Mm. Postman, like doctors go from house to house, it's just an incredible image as well. Mm. Mm. What does that do for you? Because it's really extraordinary. Well, it harks back to an older time as well, because obviously that doesn't happen now. You've got to sit and wait for four hours in the walk-in centre, you know. But, um, yeah, so it brings, like, an older sensibility, mm. which, which is more sociable as well. Mm. So it brings that world into it. But it's also, like, I don't know, like the plague doctor of his right. beak kind of thing, like a real harbinger of death. Right. It's balancing those two things. I'm not feeling it's love letters. No. <laughs> so like, you yeah. know, isn't that amazing that mm. somehow it does that? Yeah. It's more late rent payments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because of everything that's come before, we know mm. that, I suppose, yeah. I was reading um, about this poem like last week, just, mm -hmm. and um, apparently one side will have to go is what Oscar Wilde said on his deathbed about oh. uh, the wallpaper, <gasps> and um, but that, yeah, <laughs> but that was in a rented room in Paris as well. I think the idea of um, renting and mm. not having a permanence is is really prevalent throughout the poem as well. Isn't it? Mm. There's something about that room straight away. In time, the curtain edges will grow light. That last stanza is just incredibly well crafted. Mm. I feel like, in a way, he is, in a kind of like um, wild and satirical way, he is being overly dramatic at times, I think. Mm. Like, he's kind of like smirking to himself writing this a little bit but yeah i think when i think when he says a whole day nearer now mm. it's kind of you know yeah yeah there's a bit of a nod and a wink going a bit of a nod on and a wink. Yeah. yeah this took him a good few years to write as well which i think is interesting because apparently he was writing it mm. at the time when so he could have included it in high windows but he didn't and he carried on working on it. Mm. And then he published it on December 23rd or something, hoping that it had ruined some Christmas dinners. Quote. <laughs> God, that's so good. Yeah. So, Tom, I've got to ask this. Mm -hmm. You're a young man. Yeah. And you're bringing us this poem. Mm -hmm. What's your experience of grappling with death and the truth of that? Mm. It's incomprehensible, really, I think. Mm. That's all. I try not to think about it as much as I did when I was 16. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. yeah. Now you're an old man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the thing that gets me about it is the, the incomprehensibility of it. The, the, mm. the fact that you don't know what it is, so you can't write it. So you have to try and find a way of writing around it, which I guess is what this poem does so well. Putting all the, the concrete, real-world things around this vast emptiness that we can't understand, mm. but we'll have to at some point. Yeah, I feel like poems like this kind of help you to come to terms with it as well. I love the way which he does in lots of his poems as well, where he 
he'll kind of lift up the arguments that people use and then he'll knock them down. Yeah. So no rational being can fear a thing it will not feel. Well, <laughs> that is the absolute thing we all fear, isn't it? Mm. Is that, that that's the very thing, you know, that we won't yeah. be able to. He's not looking for any comfort here, is he? No. Yeah. And it's brilliant the way he does that, mm. I think. And the tone, his tone is very interesting, isn't it? Because that changes in different places. Sometimes it feels kind of quite brutal and violent and physical. And other times it's quite slightly sarcastic or yeah. ironic. And then other times it's tender. You know, all the uncaring, intricate, rented world begins to rouse. I mean, that's just the most amazing mm. phrase. Yeah, the tone does change for art, doesn't it? Mm. It's kind of like the five stages of grief, isn't it? Mm. There are some really Larkin-esque points, though. Religion used to try. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You usually make sure he knocks that one down. Yeah, definitely. Mm. <laughs> and this is brilliant as well. That I mean, I've mentioned it before, the furnace fear, but then it goes on, when we are caught without people or drink. Mm -hmm. <gasps> That's good, isn't it? They're the main two sources of comfort. Yeah. Or distraction. Yeah, distraction, definitely. We've got this idea of the poem being a friend to you. What kind of a friend is this poem? Um, ooh. I don't know how to answer that. Maybe just like a guiding hand on the shoulder kind of thing. Mm. But you don't really want to turn around and look at it too much. Bobard. I work all day and get half drunk at night. Waking at four to soundless dark, I stare. In time, the curtain edges will grow light. Till then I see what's really always there. Unresting death. A whole day nearer now making all thought impossible, but how and where and when I shall myself die. Arid interrogation. Yet the dread of dying and being dead flashes afresh to hold and horrify. The mind blanks at the glare. Not in remorse, the good not done the love not given, time torn off unused, nor wretchedly, because an only life can take so long to climb clear of its wrong beginnings and may never, but at the total emptiness forever, the sure extinction that we travel to and shall be lost in always, not to be here, not to be anywhere, and soon, Nothing more terrible, nothing more true. This is a special way of being afraid, no trick dispels. Religion used to try, that vast, moth-eaten musical brocade created to pretend we never die. And specious stuff that says, no rational being can fear a thing it will not feel not seeing that this is what we fear. No sight, no sound, 
No touch or taste or smell. Nothing to think with. Nothing to love or link with. The anaesthetic from which none come round. And so it stays, just on the edge of vision. A small, unfocused blur. A standing chill that slows each impulse down to indecision. Most things may never happen. This one will. And realisation of it rages out in furnace fear when we are caught without people or drink. Courage is no good. It means not scaring others. Being brave lets no one off the grave. Death is no different wind at than withstood. Slowly, light strengthens and the room takes shape. It stands plain as a wardrobe. What we know, have always known, know that we can't escape yet can't accept. One side will have to go. Meanwhile, telephones crouch, getting ready to ring in locked-up offices, and all the uncaring, intricate, rented world begins to rouse. The sky is white as clay with no sun. Work has to be done. Postmen, like doctors, go from house to house. That was Al with the fabulous reading at the end there and our thanks to Tom for giving us permission to use the conversation and to Faber for giving us permission to use the poem. Just lovely listening back to that, actually, Michael, because, uh, you know, it, it, it was BC, as they say, before COVID. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, had gone through, I have gone through quite a bit since, since that conversation. And yet, you know, it really did stay with me, the experience of meeting Tom and talking, talking into and around and through that poem. I found him to be a really insightful eloquent and exciting person to meet. It was lovely. And yeah, just had such a great love of the craft of the poem. It was really a pleasure to be in company. And obviously a poem that is about a, you know, a very tough subject. Um, there's something very brilliant about that when you're with someone who really appreciates the attention and the beauty of the craft even in the face of the subject being perhaps we might say bleak or um yeah difficult to handle so yeah it was great really great you haven't got the thing that you read me earlier have you oh it just made me think of that thing that you shared from the lovely comment that somebody made about Friday night, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have actually. I've got it right here, and it's so eloquent. It's just brilliant the way she expresses this. She says, being a big poetry novice, I think I'd only heard one of the poems that you read before, so thank you for the introduction. It's amazing how a poem can sneak up and pick at an emotional thread, and without explaining anything, everything feels suddenly 
explained. That's brilliant, isn't it? I love that it's from somebody who says, <laughs> claims to be a poetry novice. And then this yeah. brilliant insight into what poetry does. And I think this poem does that, actually. I think that's what mm. put me in mind of it, is that, yeah, this poem kind of does that. It's that thing of it explaining something without explaining it. Yeah, so well, so well expressed by that member of our audience. Michael, there's so much going on at the moment in the kind of lockdown, nothing going on, everything going on. I can't even think to specifically lift anything up. I know that there's been a phenomenal, uh, I think it's still going on, but Kendall Literature Festival, done an amazing programme this year. Manchester Poetry Library, who hosted us and who've had the opening of their building obviously held up but are now putting together all sorts of interesting things through their website and online and you know lots of other poetry organizations so just you know encouraging everybody to keep looking out and drawing from the from the source of poetry to keep us going through hopefully these last phases of patience and resilience we're getting there, Fee. We're getting there. I think that's about all we've got time for this month. So we'll leave it there. And we'll be back with you soon with more Poems as Friends. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye.